This morning I've entitled the message, Life and Death, Matthew chapter 22. The Bible reads in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 23 and following, it reads this way, The same day came to him the Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection. And he asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third unto the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I thank you for the privilege and opportunity that's ours to be able to be here. Lord, I do pray that you would give to each one of us what we need physically, spiritually, mentally, and emotionally today. I pray that your grace would work in and through me. Father, I'd be in the background and your precious son would be in the foreground. Father, I ask that your power would be upon my life. Thank you that your power is already upon your word and your word never returns void. Lord, I ask that if there's one here today that does not know you, that they would come to know you. We're thankful, Father, that we don't have to live in death, but we can live in life. Thank you for the life that you give us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We love you this morning. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for the service to this point. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. There are two things that are certain in life. What are they? Taxes and death. There are two things that are certain in life. You know that taxes and death are a part of it. In the previous section of Scripture, Jesus was questioned on taxes. We learned that we have a responsibility to government and to God in our last message when we looked at that, and we do. And now, after being questioned on taxes, he's now questioned on death and life after death and the reality of that. You know, if you were to look at the majority of human religions, you would find that most religions have always hoped for something beyond the grave. They've always hoped for uh, more after this life. They, the majority of, of religions today believe in some type of afterlife. The Egyptian pharaohs, and one of them in particular, had in his tomb a solar boat, which he had built so that he could sail through the heavens in his next life. 
The Greeks would often place a coin inside the mouth of corpses so that they could pay their fare across the mystic river of death in, in order to get into the land of immortal life. Some American Indians bury a pony and a bow and an arrow with a warrior so that he would be able to ride and hunt in the happy hunting ground of the afterlife. Eskimo children in Greenland were buried with a dog so that that way they would not have to find their way through the cold wasteland without a guide. Side note, did you notice nobody was buried with a cat? <laughs> but most religions hope for some type of afterlife, some nirvana, some perfect state. And the majority of Jewish people believed in an afterlife, a resurrection from the dead. As a matter of fact, the Pharisees believed that there was a resurrection of the dead, but they believed that whatever condition you were in when you died, if you had physical defects, the clothes that you had on when you died, that's exactly the way you would be resurrected. In each major religion of the world, there is a resurrection to some good place or to some bad place. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse 2, the Bible says, And many of them that slept in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. See, in the Bible, what we find is that there is a resurrection. It's something very much that is talked about. It's really the hope of the believer. Psalm 16, 9, the Bible says, Therefore my heart is glad, and my glory rejoices. My flesh also shall rest in hope. There is a hope that after, after death, when resurrection happens, there is a hope for us as believers that there is no more corruption, that there is ultimately no more death, there is no more sin, there is no more pain, and all is good for us. In our passage, we find that after the Pharisees and Herodians came to Jesus and failed in their attempt to try and discredit and destroy him, there's another group that comes, the Sadducees. Did you ever wonder why they were called the Sadducees? Well, because they didn't believe in the resurrection and they were sad, you see. <laughs> That's one of those... Somebody better get me that uh, joke book. <laughs> I don't need a joke book. But we find now the Sadducees are coming to Jesus. Take a look at the verse there. The same day, the same day, Jesus just gets done with, with um, really putting the, the Pharisees and the Herodians to silence. And now it says the same day, they're coming to Jesus. Why? To try and discredit him. The religious counterparts had failed, and now the Sadducees are coming. The majority of Jews, as I mentioned to you, believed in the resurrection, but it was the Sadducees that did not believe in the resurrection. They did not believe in spirit life. They did not believe in angels. Take a look at what the Bible says. Then, same came, uh, then, 
Then the, the same day came unto him Sadducees, which say that there is no resurrection. See, the Sadducees this morning, they were at odds with the Jewish culture, and they were at odds with the Jewish theology. The Sadducees, let me just give you a little bit of background here. They were not a very large group of Jews, but they were a very powerful group. They were wealthy and influential. They were really the ruling class of Judaism. And they gained their wealth by dealing with the temple. See, they were the ones who ran the temple. They ran the concessions. They ran the money changers. They were in charge of the buying and selling. All that was, that was all under their power. And you remember what Jesus had just done to the temple. See, this group was where the chief priest and the high priest came from. They were the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were not popular with the people at all. First, because they did things to advance their own personal gain. They lined their pockets with the people's money. Secondly, they weren't popular with the people because of their theology. It was not in line with the theology of the people that they believed in a resurrection. And thirdly, the reason they were not popular with the people was because they were pro-Rome as well. And see, they were pro-Rome because they were in a position that would benefit them. Rome allowed them to have that authority that they had. Rome allowed them to basically rule as they wanted. Rome allowed them to be able to grease their palms with the finances of the people. And as long as Rome had their dominance, the Sadducees had their power, the Sadducees had their prestige, the Sadducees had their wealth, as long as Rome was in dominance. The theology that they held would be considered hyper-fundamentalism. They were literalist when it came to the scriptures. They were totally opposite of the Pharisees who were the liberals of the day. And the Sadducees refused any oral or traditional law. They really only saw the first five books of Moses as the Word of God. They would have looked at the rest of the Old Testament as commentary on the first five books of the Old Testament. And so because the Torah, the law, did not specifically mention, at least in their estimation, did not specifically mention the resurrection, they rejected any notion or idea of the resurrection. They denied the afterlife. They thought that once you died, you ceased to exist. There was no heaven. There was no hell. There was no penalty. There was no rewards. As you can see, the Sadducees and Pharisees were at opposite places theologically and politically. But they didn't care about that because they both wanted to discredit and destroy Jesus. It's amazing how many groups that are opposite in all that they believe or say that they believe and live for, but how they will come together in order to try and destroy the Savior of the world. I want you to see, first of all, write this down if you would please, the tactic used against Jesus. The tactic used against Jesus. We see this in Matthew chapter 22, verses 23 and 24. The same day came to him Sadducees, which say, There is no resurrection. And asked him, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Write this down, letter A. They tried to discredit him politically. They tried to discredit Jesus politically. The Bible tells us that the same day, right after, or 
sometime after the Pharisees and the Herodians tried to discredit Jesus. Now, how did they try and discredit Jesus? Listen, this is key. They tried to discredit Jesus politically. Remember, they wanted Jesus to say something against Rome. That's the reason why the Herodians joined with the Pharisees. The Pharisees joined with Herodians. They wanted Jesus to say something against Rome, so a pro-Rome contingency, the Herodians, would run back to Rome, would tell the Roman government that Jesus said something against Rome. That way they could discredit Jesus and then destroy Jesus. See, the, the Roman government wouldn't have believed the Pharisees because they knew that the Pharisees were anti-Rome. The Pharisees were very vocal about that. They hated Rome. They didn't want anything to do with Rome. And so therefore, they recruited the Herodians to be able to help discredit and destroy Jesus. They said in verse, take a look at verse 22. When they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. What does it tell us? That they tried to discredit Jesus politically, but they failed in their attempt. They failed. I want you to see the tactic used against Jesus by the Sadducees, letter B. They discredited Jesus. They tried to discredit Jesus with the people. While they couldn't get Jesus to say anything against Rome, now they're going to try and discredit Jesus with the people. At first... You'd find out, if you look back, before Monday, before Monday of this week, because this is Passion Week, we find Jesus at Wednesday, this is Wednesday right now, and before Monday, you won't hear much about the Sadducees going after Jesus. You really wouldn't hear anything about that. They could care less what Jesus said, they could care less really what he did, they left him alone. But when they experienced the cleansing of the temple... Now Jesus stepped all over their toes. He stepped into their territory. Now Jesus was messing with them with their power. Now Jesus was messing with their purse. Now Jesus was messing with their prominence. And they said, whoa, you know what, Jesus, you can teach about the resurrection, but don't you come into the temple and start messing in our territory. Now it was time for them to stop Jesus and discredit him with the people so that they could ensure their continued wealth and power. And if Jesus is discredited with the people, there's not going to be any following. And so then he just fade into the background and then the Sadducees could continue lining their pockets, controlling the people, and being in charge. Isn't it interesting to think, though, that for over 2,000 years, people have been trying to discredit Jesus? They've been trying to discredit him and his teachings. Think about this. Many people have said, well, Jesus is a good man, but he's just not God in the flesh. Listen, Jesus couldn't be a good man if what he taught and said is true, but he really wasn't God in the flesh. He, he, he would have been someone who was lying. I don't know any people that would say, well, a prolific liar, they're a good person. No. No. Either Jesus is God in the flesh or he's a prolific liar. 
See, there are many that will try and discredit Jesus, say, well, he's just a good prophet because there's religions that say that. We don't mind Jesus being a good prophet. We don't mind Jesus being a good teacher. We don't mind Jesus being a, a good man, but he's not the son of God. People talk about and try and discredit the virgin birth. Are you so foolish to believe, sir, that, that Jesus was born of a virgin? That is biologically impossible. If you were to ask me, do I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? I would say emphatically, yes, he was born of a virgin, just like the scripture said. And I don't care what doctor or what theologian or whoever would say, you're a fool. Well, I'll be a fool for Christ then. Because the Bible tells us that he was born of a virgin. You say, well, that's biologically impossible. Well, I will tell you exactly what Jesus told the Sadducees. You err not knowing the power of God. People talk about how a man cannot raise himself from the dead. How could a man raise himself from the dead? Well, see, that's your problem. You're asking the wrong question. You said, how can a man raise himself from the dead? That's just not any ordinary man. It was the God-man. And God can do anything. He has the power to raise himself from the dead, and that's exactly what Christ did. The Bible says that he died on the cross. He wasn't swooned. He didn't just fall asleep because of the pain. It wasn't that he was just unconscious. No, he literally died for the sins of the world, was placed in a grave, was sealed airtight so that nobody could get in, nobody could get out. And he rose again, according to the scriptures, three days later, just like he said he would. Destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up again. That's exactly what Jesus did. But the world today is trying to discredit him. The world today would say that this type of teaching and you who are sitting here listening to this, that is foolishness. Can't believe that you would believe that. I can't believe you believe evolution. My friend, it takes more faith to believe evolution than it does to believe the gospel. See, just like the Sadducees, in that day they were trying to make Jesus look like a fool by asking what he believed to be a question that could not be answered. People today are trying to make Christians look like the fool. The Bible's not up to the times. My friend, this book, it's timeless. It's a different day and age, Pastor. You know, the culture has changed. You're right, the culture has changed. But the Word of God hasn't. Thoughts in the Bible are archaic. The ideas are, 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 are archaic. What do you mean that it's, that it's wrong to be sexually active before marriage? Let me try that one again. What do you mean that it's wrong to be sexually active before marriage? And all God's people said... Amen. Because that's what the Bible says. Can God forgive of those sins? Yes, he can. What do you mean it's wrong to be involved with someone of the same gender? What do you mean that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven? There are many roads that lead to Rome. Why are you so narrow-minded? Why are you so intolerant? You're just foolish. See, 
the world's still trying to discredit Jesus and his teachings. And we got to remember, church, listen, the servant is not above the master. If they try to discredit Jesus, guess what? They're going to try and discredit his church. If they try to make Jesus look foolish, they're going to try and make the church look foolish. But lest I remind, let me remind you this morning that it is the foolish things of God that confound the wise. And so let's not get defeated or discouraged when people laugh and ridicule us. Let us not be embarrassed to stand up for Christ when everybody else is standing against us. Let us not be intimidated to say, yes, I believe that Jesus Christ is the only way. Yes, I believe that his blood paid for my sin. Yes, I believe that he rose again according to the scriptures. Yes, I believe that. Though the world may laugh, all of heaven is rejoicing. See, they will try and discredit us as followers of Jesus and the message that he has given us to give to the world, but that makes no difference because we are not to look for the approval of man, but we are to look for the approval of God so that one day we will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. They tried to discredit Jesus. The, the tactic that you used against him Take a look, number two, write this down if you would please. The ridiculous, a ridiculous situation to trap Jesus. We find this in verses 24 through 28. A ridiculous situation to try and trap Jesus. If you were to study this out, you would find that commentators vary on this portion of scripture here about whether this was an actual, literal um, uh, incident that the Sadducees are mentioning. Because, and the reason that they question is because they say, and there was one that was with us. Some believe that they, it was an actual literal uh, in, interpretation, uh, uh, incident, I should say. Others believe that it was just an illustration or a mock-up. I'm not going to debate on one way or the other with you, but it's still a ridiculous situation in which they try and trap Jesus with. Verse 24, saying, Master, Moses said, If a man die having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. Now there were with us seven brethren, and the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, and having no issue, left his wife unto his brother. Likewise, the second also, and the third unto the seventh. And last of all, the woman died also, therefore in the resurrection. Whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. I want you to see letter A, the addressing of Jesus. The Sadducees addressed Jesus very similar to the way the Pharisees did. They said, Master. What are they saying? They're saying, Teacher. But you know what? They're saying it in a way that is scoffing and mocking. What are they trying to do? Say, why do you believe there was scoffing and mocking? They're trying to discredit the teaching of the resurrection. Teacher. Like he's a real teacher. Like, yeah, teacher. Moses said it was almost a scoffing about Jesus being a teacher. They're trying to discredit his teaching with the people. So though it looks like they were being respectful, they were really being disrespectful. The addressing of Jesus, letter B, the appeal to diminish Jesus in verse 24. These, these men, these Sadducees, did not look at Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. 
If they did, they wouldn't be doing what they were trying to do. From a human standpoint, there would be no more, there would be no higher appeal for a Jew than Moses. That's the highest appeal that they could have. He was the great lawgiver. Moses was the great spokesman for God. And they knew that Jesus held the scriptures in the highest regard. But they refused to recognize the one in front of them as greater than Moses. I'd like you to turn over in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 3, if you would, please. Hebrews chapter 3. The appeal to diminish Jesus. They're trying to diminish Jesus. Instead of recognizing Jesus as greater than Moses, they were trying to make him small, if you will. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. Hebrews 3 and verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, insomuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that buildeth all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm unto the end. See, what they were failed to see about Jesus, who was standing right in front of them, they failed to see his absolute supremacy. They failed to see that Jesus Christ was superior to Moses. They, they refused to see that Christ was sufficient in all things. There are those who are trying to diminish Jesus today, let me tell you something. It doesn't matter what they say. It does not change the fact that Jesus Christ is supreme. It does not change the fact that Jesus Christ is superior. And it does not change the fact that Jesus Christ is sufficient. Christ is supreme in all things. You say, well, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter what you believe. It matters what's truth. Well, that's not my truth. I'm sorry. It's not about your truth or my truth. It's about the truth. Christ is supreme in all things. Christ is also superior in all things. Christ is sufficient in all things. See, they tried to diminish Jesus, and really, it's an act of futility. The Sadducees, though, they press on in trying to discredit the Lord. And they ask a question based on the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 25. I'd like you to turn there, if you would, please. Deuteronomy, chapter 25. This is where their question comes from about the resurrection. Deuteronomy, chapter 25. Take a look at verse 5. Deuteronomy, chapter 25. Now, I need you to understand that, Jesus, that, that the Word of God was not promoting polygamy. This was to be an unmarried brother, okay? If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no children, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. So the, wife of the, the wife's not going to go marry someone outside of the family here. 
her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of a husband's brother unto her. And it shall be that the firstborn which she beareth shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be put not out of Israel. And if the man like not to take his brother's wife, then let his brother's wife go up unto the gate unto the elders and say, My husband's brother refuseth to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of my husband's brother. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and shall say, I like not to take her. I'm not going to do this. Then shall his brother's wife come unto him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe off from his foot and spit in his face and shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto, unto that man that will not build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel the house of him that has loosed that, that hath his shoe loosed. This is where they get that from. And what the Pharisees, uh, the Sadducees are doing is what I believe is putting forth a hypothetical situation. It's called a liverate mass, a, a marriage, L-E-V-I-R-A-T-E marriage. It has nothing to do with the Levi's. What that is, that's a Latin term for meaning husband's brother. And the purpose of this custom, you say, well, what's the purpose of this? Why were they doing this? It doesn't make sense to us. It was to keep the family name. It was so that, that that family, that tribe, the inheritance would continue on. You've got to remember the nation of Israel there and what God was trying to do with the nation of Israel. It was to keep the tri tribal names and the family and all the inheritance intact. And it was a disgrace for a man not to do this. You'll remember with me in the book of Genesis, there was a man named, by the name of Onan. And God killed him because he did not do this. But we see a positive illustration, you'll remember with me, in the book of Ruth. His name was Boaz, called the kinsman redeemer. And Boaz took Ruth to be his wife. And we see that why, one of the reasons why this was done, not only to preserve the tribal name and the family inheritance, but it also protected the line of Christ. Because you'll find that the line of Christ, it ran through Ruth and Boaz, Matthew chapter 1 and verse 5. But because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, they put forth would be a, an impossible question to answer. The Pharisees that day tried, but they failed. And so the Sadducees presented this illustration. And I'm sure that the Sadducees presented this to the Pharisees at one time or another, and because they couldn't answer it, they thought, the Pharisees believe in the resurrection, Jesus believes in the resurrection. So since the Pharisees couldn't answer it, and we discredit them, we'll discredit Jesus the same way. They told Jesus that there was this woman that ended up having seven husbands. Now let me tell you something, folks. It wouldn't take long for me if I was one of those brothers. After about three or four, I would have said, this lady is the widow maker. I'm going on a far, far journey. They're not going to be able to get a hold of me. I'm glad that there was no texting. You know, you can't get a Where's George? I have no idea. He's just falling off the face of the earth. Yeah, you better believe it. But there were seven husbands. They all died, and eventually this lady died. And they asked Jesus, whose wife? Now, remember, they don't believe in the resurrection. How hypocritical. How deceitful. 
Jesus, whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection since all seven had her? How could you, basically saying, how could you possibly reconcile the marriage relationship in the resurrection? Number three, the response of Jesus. Take a look at verses 29 and 32. The response of Jesus. Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given a marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, ye have not read, have ye not read, which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Letter A, Jesus puts them on the defensive you know what I like about Jesus? Jesus didn't stammer or stutter around. He didn't look down on the ground and say, oh, no, what? I, he just comes right after them. He puts them on the defensive. He doesn't hesitate. The first thing out of his mouth is, he doesn't say, well, uh, let me think about this, guys. First thing out of his mouth is, hey, you guys don't know what you're talking about. You guys don't know the scriptures. You guys are in error. We would say it like this, you're dead wrong. We would say, you don't know what you're talking about. Or how about this? Maybe young people would say, you're clueless. The Greek word for err, so what was Jesus saying when he said you do err? Means to lead astray or to deceive. In our text, it has to do with to wander about, to stray from the truth. It, it carries with it the idea of being cut loose from reality. Jesus is saying, reality is the resurrection. You are totally separated from true reality. Says you err, that's his response. He puts them on the defensive. But letter B, Jesus gives the reason why they're wrong. In verse 20, 29, Jesus gives the reason why they are wrong. They are wrong for two reasons here. Two the, in their theological beliefs they were wrong in. First, they did not know or understand the scriptures, he says. And then secondly, they did not know or understand the power of God. And then Jesus deals, he expands on these two theological truths. And he starts with their ignorance about the power of God. Take a look at verse 30. For in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. Jesus comes straight out and refutes their false belief that there's no resurrection. Matter of fact, he states the resurrection as a fact. Listen to what he says. For in the resurrection. He states it as a fact that this is what happens in the resurrection. He also refutes their false belief about no spiritual world or no angels with the mentioning of angels. See, in the heavenly state, and some of you will be happy to know this, in the heavenly state, there is no marriage or giving in marriage. Some of you would be very glad to know that you will get out of what you call purgatory today. <laughs> you will. You will be free from those shackles. That bow and chain that you drag around with you. Some of you have told me that you would have had a lesser jail sentence if you committed murder. I don't know if that's true or not. But the simple fact of the matter is, in all seriousness, there is no giving or taking of marriage. See, the main purpose of marriage, one of the main purposes of marriage, the Bible tells us, is to repro reproduce life. Reproduce life. So because there will be no death in heaven, guess what? There will be no new life. 
in heaven like there is here on earth. In heaven, the Bible tells us here that everybody will be like the angels. We'll be perfectly united to everyone else. We will, we will, have, we will be, be equal in spiritual nature. We will be, we will be equal in, in deathlessness. We will be equally glorified and we'll be equally eternal. We'll be united one with another. They say, Jesus goes on to say that God can do this because God is limitless in his power. Listen, God can easily transform the earthly into the heavenly. And just like it's foolish for the Sadducees not to understand the power of God, church, it's just as foolish for us to think this about God and his power. Sometimes we limit God in his power. Sometimes we put God in a box and we, we make him out to be human like we are. And because he doesn't work on our timetable, and because he doesn't do things the way we want them done, and because he, he may not do it exactly uh, um, in, in the thought process that we have, we think that God's power is limitless. See, we know in our minds, if I were to say this morning, church, will you testify with me this morning that God can do everything? Everybody in here would say, amen. But let me ask you something. Have you given up praying for that person that you think will never get saved? Well, Pastor, you just don't know. They are as wicked, they're, they're, they're as, wicked as Satan himself. Don't stop praying for them. You do err in not knowing the power of God. The Bible tells us that he was willing to do is save them to the uttermost. Well, Pastor... I know God can do anything, but I just don't think that that relationship can ever be mended. I mean, those two people, they fight like cats and dogs. You do err not knowing the power of God. Pastor, these wounds are so deep. I, I don't think that I can ever get over this situation. I don't, I, I don't think that uh, I could ever be whole again. My friend, you do err not knowing the power of God. See, we serve a God that's limitless in his power. Now Jesus answers their foolish views about the future life, and he did it by referring to Moses. See, Jesus refers to Moses because they knew that that's the only authority that the Sadducees would accept. They wouldn't accept his authority. So he reminds them of Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6 where God spoke to Moses. Exodus chapter 3 and 6 reads this way. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Jesus showed them that God, through Moses, raised the dead. I want you to turn over. Take a look at Luke chapter 20 and verse 37. Give me a little more time. I'm almost done. Just give me a little more time. You say, I wonder when he's going to get done. I'm almost done. I want to finish this and finish point four. Point four is not very long. Only about 45 to 50 minutes. <laughs> hey, I'm glad you're listening. Good. Jesus showed them that God through Moses, the dead are raised. I want you to see this. Luke chapter 20, verse 37. Now that the dead are raised, even Moses showed at the bush... When he calleth the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. 
He called them in the present. I, I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. In verse 32 of Matthew chapter 22, he says, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. One man said it this way. Jesus' excellent exegetical argument, I'll get that out, is based upon the emphatic present tense of the I am used in the passage from the Pentateuch or in Deuteronomy there. After Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were long dead. Now remember, they were long dead when Jesus makes this statement. 1,500, 1,700, 1,800 years. The Lord was still their God. Every bit as much as when they were alive. In fact, in many ways, even more so their God. Because they had become perfectly sinless. And their souls were experiencing the fellowship of his, of his eternal presence. Amen. See, Jesus used the present tense because God is not the God of the dead, but he's the God of the living. And if he's the God of Abraham, not was the God. He didn't say was the God of Abraham. Remember when he was at the burning bush, I am the God of Abraham. If he, if he the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob, if he's still that God, then that means that there's got to be a resurrection because those men are obviously alive in another realm. Amen. Number four, and in closing, the shock waves that Jesus created. Verse 33, and when the multitudes heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. Letter A, you might want to put this down. Jesus silenced the Sadducees. Take a look at verse 34 in our next passage. We'll probably, by God's grace, if he allows us to be here next week, we'll preach this section to you. But take a look at it, verse 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. See, the pompous religious elites who were used to telling people what to do and where to go and how to do it were totally silenced by Jesus. They had nothing to say. Those who had an opinion on anything and everything in the Old Testament couldn't come up with anything to say after Jesus responded. They were left stunned by Christ, and they could not refute what Jesus had said. Jesus silenced them. But the shockwave that Jesus created, not only through the silence of the Sadducees, but letter B, Jesus demonstrated his deity. Let me tell you something. Only the God-man could answer a question like this in such a magnificent way. Only, only the omniscient could amaze the multitudes in all that he said. And the reality is that Jesus Christ is still sending shockwaves today. He hasn't changed his claim of being God in the flesh. He hasn't changed his claim of being the way, the truth, and the life. He hasn't changed his claim of being the only way to heaven. He hasn't changed his claim of dying on the cross and raising himself again three days later. He hasn't changed that claim. He hasn't changed the claim of coming back and capturing up his bride. All these claims and more send shockwaves to the world that we live in. 
How can you believe such a thing? Why? Because the God-man, Jesus Christ, who is the eternal word, has spoken it. And see, this morning there are going to be those who are so foolish, they will believe scientists, they will believe doctors, they will believe lawyers with their limited knowledge instead of believing the omniscient one. They will believe authors. They will think that a, a Dawkins or uh, some other person that can create some type of uh, um, uh, alternate universe for the way that we came into being is more intelligent than God when he said, in the beginning, God created how foolish could a person be to believe the very limited knowledge of man? And though it may send shockwaves to the people of the world today, and there will be those who will not believe his claims, there will be others that will just be amazed. There will be some that will deny his claims. There will be others that are amazed. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. That, that's amazing that someone could say that. There'll be those that deny. There'll be those that were amazed, just like the crowds there. But then there will be those that will accept. This morning, I say, well, what are you talking to us about? What? Now, what's the truth out of this whole thing? I left this for the very end. Usually I state it in the beginning. What's the truth? the word to learn from this. I would tell you this morning, I want you to think about what life you're living for. What? What life are you living for? The Sadducees live for only this life. But there's a next life. What life are you living for? You say, Pastor, I'm saved. I'm living for the next life. Don't be so quick to answer that. Say, so how can I know if I'm living for the next life? Take a look at your priorities. Where do you spend your time? Do you have any time for God at all? Say, Pastor, I'm here. No, no, I'm talking about on a daily basis. Do you spend time in His Word? Do you spend time in the prayer closet? Where do you spend your time? Oh, you got time for Facebook, young people, Snapchat, TikTok, whatever, Twitter, Instagram, you got time for that. Grandmoms, you know, Facebook's your deal. Yeah, I want to show you all my grandkids, you know. You got time to post that. You got time to post, but you got, do you got time for prayer? Where do you spend your money? Pastor, I just, I just, I can't, I just can't give. I'll just leave it there. We'll wait for January for money talk. Let me ask you something. What are your greatest interests? What's the things that excite you the most? That'll tell you what you're living for, friends. That'll tell you if you're living for this life or the next life. See, because there is a resurrection, and folks, the Bible plainly teaches us that all that we see here is going to go away. But the only thing that's going to last is what we invest in eternity. 
Oh, we could shake our heads this morning at the Sadducees and say, oh man, how foolish not to believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the resurrection. But folks, listen, we are just like the Sadducees if we don't live for the next life. They just determined that they didn't live for the next life. They just said, I don't believe in the resurrection. And they didn't live for the next life. We say we believe in the resurrection and still don't live for the next life. So how are we any better? Just something to think about. You want to know why? Because all of us, including your pastor, if we're not careful, we get caught up in this life. We get caught up in this life. I do too. I do too. And I need to be reminded that this isn't all there is. This really is just a mirage. It's just a mirage. But one day, for those of us who know Christ, we're going to get the real thing.